Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You know, it turned out to be a timely opportunity to talk about God and Noah this morning with all the massive flooding going on around the world the last, last couple weeks or so. Um, not only in this country, Detroit, New York, uh, some places in Arizona, but also in Europe, uh, France, Belgium, uh, the Netherlands. At least 170 people were killed as a result of severe flooding in Germany. Uh, they're calling it that nation's worst natural disaster in over uh, half a century. Thousands more went missing. People there are angry and they're calling for someone's head to roll. They say they were never given enough advance warning or good information. They claim that they had no idea what was coming until loudspeakers on fire trucks began warning people to get to higher ground. Some claiming that by the time that happened, there was already water running into their homes and they couldn't leave. It turns out that the government did broadcast warnings that floodwaters were possible in some areas and that they might reach a height of 13 feet. That number was later revised to 18 feet. But by the time the waters peaked, they'd reached 30 feet, a number that was totally unexpected and that they were totally unprepared for. Only about 45 homeowners in Germany have insurance that covers flood damage, so this week's been all about hindsight. A resentment that the government should have already put safeguards in place that would have uh, prevented this kind of thing from ever happening. I mean, you can't keep it from raining, but you can provide ways to redirect water from population areas. It was bad there. But really, the most dramatic videos came out of the Henan province in China, where they received over a year's worth of rain in just three days. Uh, nearby rivers couldn't handle it all. Officials there even blew up a dam to help uh, divert floodwaters. Uh, worst of all, maybe, even the subways began filling up with water, trapping people aboard the trains in tunnels with no way out until the waters receded. Some of the video captured on cell phones shows people in water up to their shoulders. Uh, cars above ground in the city were floated away like toy boats. Passenger trains were halted, highways were shut down, and one hospital suffered a total power outage. Whole villages, towns, and cities were waist deep or higher in the dirty brown water. And if it happens quick, and it can, uh, the only way to stay dry is to go up and then wait it out. In Germany, people were being picked up off their roofs. Seeing some of those photos or watching some of those videos of people and cars and even houses being washed away in the floodwaters is a far cry from our children's story of Noah leading all the animals two by two onto the ark so that they might be saved from the floodwaters that are coming in that story. Sunday school and preschool rooms are often painted with murals depicting uh, bright blue skies and rainbows and smiling animals. A perfect picture, really, of God's love and redemption. And that's okay. Uh, those scenes teach one of the Bible's central truths, that God saves. One of the ways he does that is through the floodwaters of holy baptism, by faith in the world's redeemer, Jesus Christ. And then there's the rest of the story, the R-rated version with graphic images of violence, the judgment of God version for adults. That version makes you want to ask the tough question you really don't want the answer to. Like, you know, why, God? I mean, it's such a beautiful story of rescue and redemption. Why do we need to be reminded why it happened in the first place? That it was more than just a, a low-pressure weather system. 
In the great flood of Noah's story, the waters reached depths that covered the world's tallest mountains. In Genesis chapter 5, Moses, its author, writes that uh, God decided to flood the world because he saw that, quote, the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The people had forsaken God. Okay? They turned their backs on God and walked away from him. And it says the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth. It's a powerful statement, isn't it? Man was the apex of God's creation, the, the culmination of everything he did, the pinnacle. Um, he was supposed to be created, he was, he was created in God's own image, but created to love him and, and be loved in return, to rule over the earth, to care for it. God himself had once looked at all his creation and declared it to be very good. That was before man opened the door and allowed sin into the Garden of Eden. And ever since that day, things had gone steadily downhill. The desires of a man's heart became his own desires, and he began to act like God's creation revolved around him. He began to make his own gods and bow down to them. He acted like he was his own god. The things between God and man were so bad that it said it grieved God to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of this land. That's another way to say what? A modern way. You know, that God was fed up. You know, I, I, I get lots of brilliant ideas in my life. Not all that brilliant, but I got a brilliant idea while I was working on this message. I thought I would Google, what are you fed up with, and then get some great insights to share with you. Now think about it. You know, what are you fed up with? You know, so you got something on, on your list. Everybody has something on that list. But I didn't get a, a list like I was hoping for. You know what I got? I got page after page after page of relationship advice. And I thought, wow, that was a bust. But then, you know, the more I thought about it, the more I realized that it really is a relationship issue. The very first commandment is that we should put God first in our lives. And when Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was, remember what he answered? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. When every intention of the thoughts of our hearts are only evil, who gets put in first place? us. And who do you think gets bumped? God. That's what happened. And it didn't sit very well. He'd set man up in a world that, that could have been Eden forever. And mankind threw it right back in his face and, and just went on their own way. So God ended up regretting that he'd ever made man. That's fed up. That's fed up to here, right? But can you blame him? You know, when you think about the headlines flashed across newspapers and and TVs and things you hear on the radio and get your news on the internet anywhere, I guess, but Facebook probably. <laughs> Who could blame him, right? When you think of the, 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 all those headlines, those words of our creator God ought to, ought to send a, a chill up your spine. God had been more than patient as the evil spread and, and festered throughout the world like some kind of infection. For thousands of years, he'd watched and he'd grieved until one day he had enough. You'd think he might have just zapped the whole thing into dust and started over from scratch, rebuilt from the ground up. But he saw hope in just one man. The Bible says that Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. 
Noah walked with God. That sort of begs the question, doesn't it? You know, if the fate of the whole world rested on you, you know, you have to ask yourself, do I stand out in my generation like Noah did in his? Would God see hope for the world in me? It was time for a cleansing, a washing away of all the filth and evil. And maybe a devastating flood was a logical solution, but God kept a remnant of the faithful like he always did, Noah and his family. He saved them, along with two of every creature on earth, even though you have to wonder about the two termites on the wooden boat. But he saved them through the flood waters by instructing Noah to build an ark. Now, Noah didn't have a clue what an ark was. He wouldn't even have known what a ship was. But according to God's instructions, he started building. It likely took decades to complete, as long as 60 or maybe 70 years. And during all that time, what do you think he did? Oh, word got around, right? People would have come from near and far to see this thing he was working so hard on. They would have laughed and mocked and berated him. They would have made jokes about his God. And how did Noah respond? Well, Peter tells us. He says that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. He warned people to repent. People had been warned, but they wouldn't. So when it was finished, the animals began to come as directed by God and and Noah loaded them on board and stocked the ark with enough food for the long term. And then maybe it started to sprinkle, and Noah and his, his three sons and their wives, eight people in all, climbed aboard, and it says, the Lord shut him in. God shut the big cargo door himself, and he sealed the seams to keep them safe. And then the rain, the rain came in torrents like the earth had never seen. Water fell from the sky, and it flooded up out of the ground for 40 days and 40 nights. The Bible says, the waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. And the waters prevailed so mightily that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered, and all flesh died that moved on the earth. Every living thing on the face of the ground, man and animals, were blotted out. When people hear this story, sometimes they ask, you know, why, why did God even create us to be capable of such, such evil, such brutality and ugliness. Well, you have to remember, first of all, God didn't create evil. When he got done creating, he pronounced it all to be very good. And so the answer must lie somewhere between the, the boundaries of God's commitment to freedom for us, our, 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 our uh, free will, right? And our own sinful nature's tendency to use that freedom to choose evil over good. Wherever there's free will, there's always going to be the possibility of choosing destruction over life or hatred over love, or war over peace, or selfishness over sharing. It can be so frustrating at times, we want to tear up our membership card in the human race. But without that freedom to choose, we'd never be really happy either. That's the nature of humanity. That's our predicament ever since the fall. For 150 days, the waters prevailed, and then they began to subside. But it was almost a year to the day before there was any sign of dry land. Then God told Noah to come out with his family and release the animals. But can you imagine being one of the only eight people alive on the whole earth? Just eight people. They'd lost all their friends. They'd lost their extended family and every other living thing as a result of God's unveiled anger. How much do you think, how do, how do you think they felt about that? They're probably glad to have been saved, I suppose. But how do you think they felt toward God as they walked down that gangplank onto dry land? 
Can you imagine they must have been terrified of God? I mean, what if they were sinful? You know, what if they made a mistake that angered God? Would he wipe them out the same way? The very first thing they do is build an altar and offer sacrifices to God. And the word tells us, God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you, that never again shall flesh be cut off by the waters of the floods, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. God made the first of his covenants with man. Most covenants would be the if-then variety. If you do this, I'll do that. Um, if you keep my commandments and worship me only, then I'll bless you and I'll be your God. Some of them were later replaced with new ones, but this first one was different. It was one-sided, a promise from God to his creation for all time. That's our Old Testament lesson this morning. He promised that uh, he would never send another flood, never destroy mankind like that again. And then he gave them a sign to seal the deal. He put a rainbow in the clouds, the, the bright colors, uh, really colors of hope set against the darkness of life's storms. When the bow is in the clouds, he said, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature on the face of the earth. This is the sign. Now, did God really need a reminder? He suffered from a little parts-timers, maybe? Of course not. He's all-knowing, omniscient. He can never forget. But it is a reminder to us that God will never change his mind. Noah and his family had nothing to worry about. It's something that's always before God, and therefore his promise is always before us. It's more like he, he loves us so much that he never stops thinking about the promise he made. Rainbows should make you smile. They're a reminder of, of God's love and mercy. Now Noah would sin. He wasn't perfect. He planted a vineyard, and when the, when the harvest came in, he, he made wine and got falling down drunk. And it caused him all sorts of problems, uh, uh, not only for him, but his family, and that's a whole another story, but it didn't start raining. When God said, never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all flesh, those words apply all down through time. And that rainbow promise directs us ultimately to Jesus. Do you think there's any way that the people of Noah's day could have been more evil than the people in our day? It's hard to imagine. You know, we're just as sinful as any generation has ever been. But we don't fear a flood or even God's wrath because in his son we get another visible indication of his covenant with us. Instead of pouring out his wrath by opening up the skies, God poured out his wrath with us on his own son. By bearing the father's anger, Jesus has assured us that God will not force us to bear the agony and the death that our sins deserve. Where God saved eight souls by means of a wooden ship, the whole world has been given the opportunity to escape the fires of hell by the way of our, our Savior's blood poured out for us on a rough wooden cross. On the night before our Lord's rest and trial, Thursday night before Good Friday, uh, he established a new covenant with us and gave us a, a visible reminder that says we're no longer condemned for our sins and failures uh, before God, but by God's grace alone, through faith in Jesus alone, we're forgiven and set free from our sins. That reminder is the bread and wine in Holy Communion. But more than just ordinary bread and wine, he promised that it was his own body and blood we received along with the bread and wine for the forgiveness of all our sins. There will be an end to the world, 
by fire this time, Peter seems to say. But that won't be just a course correction. That'll be judgment day. Jesus himself says that it's coming soon and that everyone will be surprised, he said, just as it was in the days of Noah. 60 or 70 years building that ark, Noah warned everyone to repent. Nobody paid attention. When the floods came, they were just as surprised as if they'd never heard it. But when that day comes, like Noah, we'll be preserved by God himself in the new covenant, having been brought into that covenant through the waters of holy baptism. Peter makes the connection for us in 1 Peter chapter 3. For Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, Peter goes on, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. See, the flood is a picture of how water will ultimately be used to save. The world was cleansed when Noah and his family were lifted up by the flood. Baptism cleanses us for sin and raises us up to new life in Christ. By grace, baptism is a means of salvation because by it, the Holy Spirit works faith in our hearts. Martin Luther said, now baptism is a far greater flood than was that of Noah. Baptism drowns all sorts of men throughout the world, from the birth of Christ even till the day of judgment. Noah's flood was a flood of wrath. This is a flood of grace. Saved by faith through the waters, by God himself. Now our view of, rainbow, of a rainbow is different than God's, if you didn't know. We see it as a kind of a bow in the sky. But if you look down on it from above, it's really a circle. It's a reminder that God's covenant with Noah has come full circle in the cleansing waters of baptism. So the next time you see a rainbow, smile, recalling what it means to be a child of God, a promise that in Christ all our sins are forgiven, all our faults and our failings washed away. Next time you see a rainbow, smile. Amen. And now may that very special peace of God that passes all understanding keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Amen.